I remember being in the back seat and do y'all do hooked on phonics? Do you know what that? Okay. <laughs> and it's this giant box of like tapes and I would just have my little like tape recorder with headphones and be listening to hooked on phonics. And I feel like that's probably where I started. I was maybe like three or four ever since that point. I was just always reading. I mean, I really loved a book fair. <laughs> I mean, that was like a highlight. And you get the flyer and you circle all the ones that you want. And your parents are like, we can only get like two. I also was signed up for the Dr. Seuss, the books that come in the mail. <laughs> I know. But it was so exciting because it was like a subscription service. And every month or something, you would get a new Dr. Seuss book. And I loved it. I loved going to check the mail on my own, having my own book. I think I even wrote into a, might have been something on the back of like a cereal box, but basically they custom made you a picture book with like your name in it. So that's, that's how I was as a child. Welcome to Hello Atelier. I'm your host, Betsy Blodgett, and with me is producer Jonathan Getz. Hello, season five. Here we are, back from a more extended than intended break from podcasting. Yeah, sorry about that. It turns out home renovation projects really do take over your life. And in the midst of everything, I've been organizing workshops and textile trips for our travel company, Hello Voyager. Plug girl. We just announced our three textile tours for 2020. We're going to Italy, Scotland, and England. So if you're planning your 2020 traveling and want to join me on a fabulous journey discovering crafts and textiles, head over to hellovoyager.org to learn more. However, long before we took our first textile trip to England and ripped the walls out of the living room, we met with Mercedes Lucero, a writer, poet, and storyteller. And avid reader since elementary school. When Mercedes mentioned childhood book fairs, I got a distant, wistful look in my eye. I could feel the pre-fair scholastic catalog in my hands. I remember poring over those catalogs, the whisper-thin newspaper, and that smell. So good. And on the day of the fair, I would be so excited to head down to the cafeteria, clutching my money, ready to pick out books. I distinctly recall snagging the all-time trifecta of Benicula Holiday Inn and the celery stalks at midnight. And then, of course, skinny bones! You know... I have a good friend who helps organize the book fairs for her son's school, and she promised me that she would take me to the Scholastic Warehouse someday. Well, you better start saving your allowance or paycheck. I'm envisioning this endless hangar filled with books from floor to ceiling, all of it dwarfing a little old lady sitting at a folding table with a metal cash box at the propped open entrance. Anyway, as we'll hear, it took a little while for Mercedes to find her home in fiction. In fact, she originally went to school thinking that she would gather stories, as opposed to create them. My fellow journalism major. And that's exactly where we'll start. Mercedes earning her degree and recognizing the power of pen and paper. After finally discovering her métier, Mercedes moved away from her family to study fiction writing, where the pressure of being a first-generation college student, combined with her struggles to fit in, made for a few difficult years. However, that frustration has made her both a better writer and a better teacher. I was a journalism major. 
at Missouri Western. And I worked on the newspaper and I realized that I loved going out to like events and just interviewing people. Like I loved talking to strangers, but I also liked having an excuse to talk to strangers because I'm kind of an introvert, but like if I had a recorder and like a pen and paper, I had a reason to just ask people questions about themselves. So I loved that. Every time I turned in an article or a story though, it would be so heavily edited by the time it got published and I was always super disappointed. (laughs) And I'm like, maybe I just wanna write stories. Maybe I wanna like embellish. And I switched to English literature. When I first got to Northwestern, I was feeling really isolated and I was feeling like I wasn't seeing a lot of people of color in Evanston. (laughs) And I just remember crying on the phone a lot for my parents (laughs) and being like, oh, I, I don't know about this. Like, I don't know if I can do this. And a few of the classes that I had, which was such a memorable experience for me because it was so dampening but pronouncing like authors names wrong and just being corrected by like an entire classroom of students and I think on the one hand I feel like I've had to really try to unlearn the internalization of like staying silent and moments like that that only further my It's not like the need to stay silent, but, and I don't want to say force either. I'm the wordsmith and I can't find (laughs) the right word and I don't want to use the wrong one. (laughs) Being a first generation college student, there's a lot of internal pressure that you don't intentionally put on yourself to perform and to be that scholar or academic and so the idea of being wrong at least for me came a lot harder to accept and being a first generation student it has made me a better teacher and knowing that the kind of support that I wish that I had had is the kind of support that I want to give my students I want them to know that I care about them and their whole beings, not just, you know, their writing and their essays, but like, how are they doing as people? I think the hardest part about moving around so much is that it's hard to say like where home is. I feel like every place I've been is home in a certain kind of way. Like Chicago, I feel like will always be the place where I did kind of grow up. I think I also, because I was going for, specifically for fiction writing, my um, MFA, it was also where I started to like take myself seriously as a writer. Whether writing fiction or nonfiction, an author has to grapple with her own perspective when crafting a story. How does her outlook affect the narrative? What personality traits are unintentionally lent to characters? And, especially with regards to nonfiction, how much of her story could, or should, she share? One of the texts that I really loved was an anthology by Beth LaFrida and Claudia Rankin, and it's called The Racial Imaginary. But it talks about sort of how can you even talk about writing or craft without considering 
race and she claudia rankin put up a question on an online forum that was if you have ever written about race why have you done so or if you haven't why haven't you and i think it was not a light bulb moment but just a understanding that writing feels so tied to identity in a lot of ways it's so intimate and it's so personal and it's kind of impossible to sort of remove the I or the personal self from any type of writing. And so I think that I would have appreciated as a student being asked questions like that or being asked, like, how does my identity affect my writing? Do you ever feel like maybe a nonfiction subject would make you so vulnerable that it's better for you to mask it as a fiction? Don't most writers of fiction do that, do you think? (laughs) And maybe it could be argued, I don't know. I think there's always a little piece of you, like I said, in every piece of writing. So I think even in fiction, a lot of my short stories seem to center around female characters who were faced with difficult decisions. I do think that there's probably pieces of me in, in some of those characters. But I think that something that I'm learning is, especially with the nonfiction, is having the ability to decide what you're willing to share and what you're keeping for yourself. And I think that's a really important level of like just agency, especially with nonfiction, knowing that you don't have to say everything and you don't have to put everything out there. And you also don't owe anyone an explanation when you're writing about your own experience of something. Stuff that I'm working on now is very vulnerable. I'm going through about 20 years of diaries and journal entries, which, uh, yeah, if we talk about (laughs) a young Mercedes, just, (laughs) I don't even know. There will be just a line or a phrase that stands out that seems to almost want to say more or isn't saying something. And I really want to go almost talk back or go and fill in gaps. A lot of that is also using erasure as a type of sort of blacking out aspects of the text. So I think that that is a technique that gets at the sort of, I'm going to show you this piece, but I'm not showing you the rest. And also visibly being able to see that, like, oh, you're not getting all of it is is a reminder of, like, this is my story and this is what I'm willing to share. For a lot of writers or just artists in general, I feel like we have to create. If no one was ever going to see it or read it, I would still be writing. I feel like it's just a part of how I process things, how I discover things, how I reflect. I think that writing about nonfiction or true um, memoir type writing is a way to help me process, but also compartmentalize Sometimes I will go back and read essays that I have and it does feel like 
a way to also distinctively mark growth not only in the actual technical like writing but also just as a person I can tell how much I have sort of grown as a writer when I go back and I'm like oh I cannot believe like and I'm editing my work that's already been sort of out and I think that's a good thing The process of writing isn't just sitting down and putting words on paper. That's not even the half of it. There is revision, there is editing. You question yourself, the story, the vocabulary, everything. It's all about shaping the final piece from the block of words. So you can imagine the freedom Mercedes felt when she discovered what she calls short-order poetry. Suddenly she was released from the slog of revision to focus on quick creativity. We started doing it through Beecher's, which is a literary magazine run by the graduate students at the University of Kansas. And we did it for fundraising purposes, but I loved it. I love the spontaneity. I love being able to just have the very first draft be the final draft. There's something so beautiful and just magical about that because that resists a lot of the rules of like revision and go back and let it sit. And it just feels so organic and fresh. I was contacted by Chase Public, which is an art collective. I think they're based in Ohio. But they had partnered with the Kaufman Foundation in Kansas City. And they wanted to have custom poetry. And I think I just loved it so much. I loved talking with people. I think it sort of reminded me of going around with my tape recorder and just talking to people and I feel like especially when people know you're going to write a poem about them they are strangely but maybe unsurprisingly way more candid and honest and I think I really loved that and sometimes it's easier to be that way with strangers so that probably helped But just to talk with someone for 10 minutes and then write a poem and give it to them was just so, so great. I'm going to try to keep it up. I think there's a question of sort of like what good can writing do and where does poetry fit in? I think a lot of those questions of what good is art at a time like this or those certain questions and It's like we need art more than ever. I can do what I love to do, but I can also do it for a greater cause. And the custom poetry that I'm trying to do now is um, based on something that Kaveh Akbar, a poet, did. But it was a kind of, if you donate to this specific organization, I will send you a poem. And I think that is so beautiful and just lovely. And I think there's a lot of poets and artists who are rethinking sort of what their art can be and do. Left brain versus right. Analytical versus creative. Writing is creative. The author weaves language together to tell a story. Math is logic. There is a process, an explanation, an answer. But what happens when the math problem is a poem? 
In Mercedes' book, Stereometry, she explores the intersection of logic and creativity, asking the readers to respond to algebraic equations that have nothing to do with numbers. Armed with the provided pencil and pink pearl eraser, readers puzzle out questions like proof 1.2. Given, one month can fill the entire cosmic calendar when time does not exist. Prove the loss and near loss of people in a short span of time is too great to know how. And I'm not sure where I saw this word stereometry, but I became so enchanted by the definition, which is the art and measurement of solid bodies. And I just kept repeating that over and over in my head and like, what does that mean? And what are bodies and thinking about bodies in space and sort of at a similar time, I was also dealing with grief and loss and near loss and find, trying to find ways to process that. I think I needed time to sort of make that connection of being able to, what would it look like to put those two things together? And I think once I did, it just fit because at the time I was constantly asking questions and wanting answers and not getting answers and searching for solutions that weren't there or were maybe never going to be there. And so to merge that with a discipline that is built on answers and reason and logic felt like a challenge but it also felt appropriate to sort of imitate that experience or what that's like I think it's been interesting to see like the responses that people have posted like have you gotten that kind of response to any of your previous work or has this been kind of a new one since there are actual problems that people can solve yeah this is the first I guess interactive type of writing but it was really important to me to have an interactive text especially when talking about mental illness or writing about mental illness and knowing that everyone's experience is going to be different and I think that it was important to have that space for a reader I think there's something that I like about writing that gives the reader the opportunity to make something themselves. I would love to see what people come up with. There have been a lot of drawings, and I think that's really interesting, too, to think of the answers as maybe an image. It's really fascinating, yeah. My mom was a quilter, and I remember we would be sitting and she tried to teach me how to sew or quilt, and I did not have the patience <laughs> for it. I felt like I wanted to like immediately see my effort. <laughs> but sewing takes a lot of patience, <laughs> and I feel like you probably know that very well. And especially a quilt. <laughs> it's like you have all these little tiny pieces, and so I was thinking about these diary entries and each of these entries and each of these phrases or words almost felt like a patch of cloth but like a cloth of myself and so I thought what would it look like to sort of thread all of these pieces together and to maybe think about quilting differently and quilting in a sense of quilting together fragments of language It is something that I feel that I want to push boundaries 
with it in a way that is itself a kind of experience. And I say that not knowing what that looks like yet, but I feel excited about getting to that point. And I think it will take actually just writing it to know where it could go. Before we left, we asked Mercedes for some advice on how to start writing. You know, just asking for a friend. Knowing why you're writing is so important because I feel like no matter how busy things become, I feel like you can always point back to, oh, this is why I I write. I mean, where I'm at right now is also reimagining what writing looks like. I know that feels so, like out there but I hate it when people are like you have to write every day (laughs) and it's like we don't have time for that (laughs) not everybody has the privilege or the time to be able to sit down at their desk and like I mean I don't write every day and maybe I'll only write once a week but like at least I wrote like and that felt good I feel like when you do put pen on paper A lot of what happens has already been sort of working in your mind. A lot of what comes out has already kind of been incubating and percolating. And I think that knowing that is helpful when I maybe didn't write anything this week, but I took a bunch of pictures of bridges or something, you know, and like maybe that's an experience that for in whatever way is going to show up in a story or a poem. One of the best pieces of advice that I got was from a professor named Juan Martinez, but he said everyone should take a poetry bath every now and then. And I love it because even just picking up a, a book of poetry, reading a page or just like soaking or absorbing what someone else has done with language feels just wholesome. It just feels rejuvenating. And I think a lot of why I write in my apartment is because I love to be surrounded by my books. (laughs) And when I'm writing or anything, just picking up a book and reading a page or taking a quick poetry bath... Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Hello Atelier. To see pictures of Mercedes and her studio, visit helloatelier.org. If you loved this episode, go leave us a review on iTunes. Every review helps us reach more people. Also, you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening and tune in for our next episode, an interview with artist and quilter Melissa Averinos.